Welcome to the Pause Purpose Play podcast with me, Michaela Thomas, clinical psychologist, couples therapist, and founder of The Thomas Connection. I help high-striving busy people let go of the pressure of perfection to create more joy, connection, and compassion in their lives. On this podcast, we promote balance of a burnout through giving you the permission to pause, the curiosity to find your purpose, and the courage to play. Welcome back to the Pause Purpose Play podcast with me, Michaela Thomas. I am very energized. Actually, I'm not really this very moment because I'm recording this intro to this amazing episode after I actually sat with this guest, Simon. And some of the energy has faded a bit, but now I know what to do to get it to come back up again because I learned a lot from talking to Simon and also from reading his book, Energize, which is out soon. This is an amazing chat with someone who is very positive without being patronizing about the reality and the hardship and the struggles of life, but finding ways of shifting your mindset so that you can tap into more energy in your life, not letting it drain out in the wrong places. In this episode, I talked to Simon about his journey of burnout and overworking into starting to think of health as his first wealth, not a side hustle anymore, prioritizing his physical energy and learning that failure is a stepping stone to success. He talks about beginning before you're ready to gain confidence rather than the other way around. So I can't express enough how much I enjoyed this conversation of discussing the mindset of energy. So let me tell you a little bit more about Simon. Simon Alexander Ong is a personal development entrepreneur, coach and public speaker. His clients are from all walks of life, but they share one trait. They all believe that the greatest investment you can make is in yourself. His work has seen him invited onto Sky News and BBC Radio London to be interviewed while Barclays UK featured him in a nationwide campaign asking questions on how families could embrace better lifestyle habits. His insights have seen him featured in Huffington Post, Forbes, Virgin and The Guardian. He also regularly speaks at organisations and keynotes, public events and conferences. His first book, Energize, will be published by Penguin on the 21st of April 2022. And as I did a deep dive into this book, I will be asking him lots of questions from this book on how to energize. Welcome to the Pause Purpose Play podcast, Simon. I'm so excited to have you here. I actually feel energized to have you here, which is quite on brand, isn't it? So welcome to the show. (laughs) Michaela, thank you so much for the kind introduction and having me on your show today. I'm really excited about this. I told you beforehand that I was reading your book as I was preparing because I read all the books um, for the guests that I'm going to interview on the show. And I read more of your book than I read of any other book that I've um, showcased so far. And it got me so energized that I went and organized my sock drawer. Isn't that fantastic? <laughs> that, that That's incredible. And uh, Michaela, I'm always grateful for anybody who's reading the book and to hear your feedback on that means so much to me, especially as a as a first-time author. Mm, it's daunting, isn't it? I mean, there's a lot about writing a book that feels like a, doing a year or two of, of, you know, therapy on yourself. There's so many mindset shifts you have to make to be able to get out of your own way when you're first-time author. So we're going to talk a lot about those mindset things today and how we can protect our energy. So 
I wonder if we can start in a vulnerable place because I love to go to the dark places first. It's really <laughs> lovely and because that's where we get the growth. That's where we get the, the light coming in afterwards. So can we start with you waking up in the bathtub, as strange as that sounds? <laughs> Definitely. Uh, that brings back lots of interesting memories, Michaela, because it was at a period where I was going through a lot of a lot of pain, I should say, with regards to my career because I started in the financial industry in, in the middle of 2007, a year before the global financial crisis, mistakenly believing that this would be the route to happiness. And so when the crisis happened and I was out of my, my first job at Lehman Brothers, which collapsed 14 months after I joined as a graduate, I ended up in a company that was literally killing my physical and mental health. And it wasn't until that moment that I was out at a client event that I came back home right bang in the middle of the early hours of the morning, sunk in the bathtub at home with my girlfriend at the time in tears next to me, that I realized I was in a very dark place. I was completely lost. I didn't have any direction in my life. And I was consuming alcohol. I was partying. I was binge watching TV series just to escape the harsh reality of where I was at that moment. And I was very grateful looking back now for that experience because it, it kick-started, if you will, the longest journey that we humans make, the inches from our heads to our hearts. Never an easy journey, admittedly, but the most important and fulfilling that we will ever embark on. And that for me was really the pivotal moment for prioritizing my, my physical health, which I believe is the foundation for, for our energy. And that's a really, really powerful story of realizing that that wasn't fulfilling, it wasn't purposeful, and it also was an element of overworking and numbing yourself to not realize how you were living your life. Definitely. I, I mean, it was scary at the time to not know what the future would hold. But looking back now, as, as we get older and wiser to connect those dots, I realized that it was probably a sign from the universe telling me that this path wasn't the one that I was meant for. And because in that conversation I had with my, with my girlfriend, I realized that if I didn't change where I was going and the choices I was making, I would stand to lose her in my relationship. I would stand to lose my health and, and whatever energy I had left. And I realized that wasn't a choice I wanted to be, to be making. And I really started to live each day with intention. Uh, it was scary at the time, but I think that, you know, as I've taken more small steps from that day, uh, I've, I've also elevated my confidence to be braver with the decisions I have been taking. So that takes a lot of courage. And, and you, in your book, Energize, you talk a lot about courage and confidence. And as I've sort of followed you around a little bit, <laughs> I was about to say, um, I've been to some of your webinars and I've heard you speak before. You actually don't come from a place of strong confidence originally. Not originally, Michaela, no, because when I was, when I was growing up in the UK, um, I was very stereotypically Chinese. And I guess what I mean by that is I was the shy, introverted, hardworking student who would always do great at academic subjects. So I would always score well at school when, when the grade cards were sent to, to parents and when it came to receiving awards for, for the different subjects I studied. But when it came to expressing what was on my mind to speaking in front of a classroom, 
I didn't have that confidence. I just wanted to get on with my studies and work hard because that was the that was the culture I was brought up in. Uh, and it wasn't until I, I started to transition from being an employee to an entrepreneur where those skills that I that I now employ today, I, I started to develop my confidence in them. It wasn't until that moment uh, where I realized that the importance of these skills and how they were going to help me that I decided to be more purposeful in in learning how to make them part of who I was. So you really, really lived that story that you tell in the book about beginning for you, before you're ready, you're living that, you know, you've had that experience in your own life. It's not just something that you preach as a subject. So I wonder if we can think a bit about that, about beginning before you're ready as a way to create momentum for yourself. Definitely. I, I guess how I came up with that term beginning before you're ready is because so often I was surrounded by when I was in the world of work, Michaela, I was surrounded by people saying, Simon, you know, one day when I make my money, I'm going to do this. When I get that promotion, I'm going to do that. Uh, when I make six figures, I'm going to do this. And what I realized is that all of these people around me were putting barriers on themselves uh, to stop them from actually beginning the work. So it was only when something happened externally, they would then take any action. But as we know, what happens is that when we get there, we keep pushing away those, those goalposts. And I didn't want to be one of those people. And so I wanted to focus on, well, what could I do now to just begin? What is the smallest step that I could take? And so I think when we begin before we're ready, what we realize is that we actually gain the confidence and clarity as we take those small steps. Otherwise, what we're doing is we're just theorizing in our minds. And those scenarios are often not real because when we actually begin, we realize that maybe it wasn't as hard as we imagined before we took action. And in most cases, things rarely are because we tend to make things sound worse than they actually are through our imagination. And so when we begin before we're ready, we start to see more of the map unravel as we take those small steps forward. And as I like to share with, with clients and audiences I speak to, Michaela, is that imagine if we just take one step forward each day, just one. In a year from now, that is 365 steps forward. Imagine who and where you could be. Mm, it's powerful, isn't it? It's, uh, it's absolutely true that the anticipation anxiety can be worse than the event itself. You know, the, the image we build up in our minds of how horrible it's going to be and how people are going to judge us and all of these fears. I think it was Mark Twain who said, uh, most of the things I've worried about never happened, which I think is definitely something that's kept me um, stuck in my in my path sometimes and, and unsticking from that by beginning before you're ready can create that momentum and build that confidence but I wonder also you know when we think about your path and that in the book you share some of the failures you faced and I love how you use the term failure as rocket fuel can you talk a mm. bit about that definitely uh, for me when I when I refer to failure being rocket fuel it is, it is a simple act of reframing uh, that event because I think that many of us, myself included, Michaela, I grew up thinking that success and failure were opposites and that you either succeeded in something or you failed in something. And th there was nothing in between. That There were two opposite ends of the, uh, of the spectrum. But what I realized uh, as I've embarked on the uh, path of entrepreneurship is that you can't actually 
experience significant and meaningful success without some kind of failure. And failure, if you will, failure is the stepping stones towards the eventual experience of success, whatever that means for you. And so when we fail and reframe that event, for me, I'm looking for it as a lesson, as an opportunity, as an introduction to someone I may not have come across otherwise. Then I begin to seek the positives from failure rather than get caught up in the negatives. If you will, Michaela, I'm focusing on the things I can control over the things that I can't. And that's why for me, when we see failure in such a such a way, it becomes rocket fuel for our journey ahead because we are approaching those events with the mindset of an eternal student, as somebody who wants to learn from it rather than let it define them. And I think the ability to process that mentally is really a demonstration of the journey from ego to humility. Because when we interpret failure from the mindset of ego, it's saying, why me? Why did this happen? Why couldn't I have that? Uh, why is the world against me? Whereas if we process it from the mindset of humility, then that is us approaching every experience, whether that is a, a win, a failure, a setback, or a challenge, with the desire to learn from it. And if we have that desire to learn, it also means we can continue to build. We can, can actually go backwards and correct rather than criticize. You know, this is one of the things I speak about a lot with my clients who um, are very lacking in compassion for themselves, that they, they review their failings and mistakes with criticism rather than with correction. And that it makes all the difference if we tweak those slightly and that you can actually look at what went wrong, what can I do differently next time? What have I learned from this? And there is growth in that failure. So I, I love that sort of rocket fuel that actually you use the analogy of the, the student and the master. I wonder if you can, you can mention that as well. Yeah, so one of the things uh, I, I learned from following a lot of Zen stories and parables, Michaela, is this notion that the difference between a student and a master is that many students simply desire the title of being a master, of having the status of being a master. Whereas the master has cultivated the art of remaining an eternal student. And that is why when you, when you speak to those who are successful in, in their industry and you ask them, are you there yet? Have you arrived at where you wanted to be? When they're operating from that mindset of an eternal student, the typical response you get is, no, I don't think I will ever get there because I am a continual work in progress. I am always learning and I feel like I'm just getting started. And that is the same with me, Michaela, because when you embrace that mindset of an eternal student, you continually feel like you're just getting started because you realize that there is so much more to learn out there in the world beyond the, the four walls of a formal classroom. And that is what keeps life so exciting. Mm. We're really getting sort of into the details and the intricacies of your work now. And I wonder if we can take a step back and look at sort of the the bird's eye view first and think about how this relates to energy. You know, you you named your book Energize. What are the the kind of cornerstones of your book that um, that you guide your reader through? Sure, Michaela. So I think the idea of energy came first of all from the uh, experience in the corporate world. So when I burnt out through uh, uh, some of the scenarios I shared earlier, the first thing I understood is that if I didn't prioritize my, my health, i.e. 
promote it from just being a side hustle to a full-time hustle, then I wouldn't have the basic energy levels to pursue anything meaningful in life. And I think when we, when we look back at the, uh, the last couple of years in which the COVID pandemic has swept across the world, we have started to understand that health is really the first wealth because without it, you, you can't do much. You can't do anything in terms of the, uh, the goals that you have written down. And so for me, energy really begins with that is prioritizing your, your physical energy. And then as I started to plan out the things that I wanted to achieve in my life, I realized that I needed the energy to make that happen, not just from a physical perspective, but also from a mental, emotional, and spiritual uh, sense of sense of things. And I remember when I walked down from many of the stages I've spoken at, I would often get audience members coming up to me and saying, Simon, I loved your energy when you were up on stage. And you know what, Simon, if I had just a small percentage of that, I could go on and achieve so much more. And it made me reflect, Michaela, well, how did I get to a point in which I wake up each day full of energy, ready to explore everything that the world has to offer? And through putting together this book and researching and interviewing some successful individuals across various different fields, I realized that they may not always be the most intelligent or the fastest at what they do, but they are the best when it comes to staying energized because they know that you can't achieve much in your life if you're always feeling tired, exhausted, and burnt out. Mm. It sounds so simple, but it's really hard to put in practice, isn't it? Um, a lot of the things that are showing up for me when I was reading your book is that although all the things make sense in there, um, you know, you talk about how to protect your energy and using different things with tools that we know are helpful for us, like protecting our sleep, um, you know, fueling ourselves with water and good nutrition and exercise. These are not known like new things. But what's really interesting is also how you link it with the voice we use to talk to ourselves about that. And I see that a lot in my work that, you know, women who say I don't deserve spending time on myself or I'm not worth that. So it's almost like shifting that mindset to to bring your health into the the picture not having as a side hustle as you say i wonder can you guide the listeners through the sort of the the four sections of your book and how they they um work their way through becoming more energized sure so the way i've structured the book michaela is into four parts the first part of the book uh, is about how we can awaken uh, our energy and in that, I talk about, uh, first of all, physical energy from the perspective of sleep, nutrition, and exercise. The second is about gratitude and elevating our consciousness through writing. Because I'm a believer that you can't have self-development without self-awareness because you simply can't change what you're not aware of. And understanding yourself is the beginning of true wisdom. The more you understand about yourself, the more clarity you get as to not only the best way forward, but how best to take those steps forward. Because we're all different. We have unique strengths, we have different talents, and we're equipped with uh, skills that are only applicable to us. And so we've got to understand, well, how can we deploy them in a way that is aligned to who we are? And the third 
chapter in that first part is really about, well, how do we begin to focus our energy on what is most important for us, i.e. understanding what your definition of success is, because many of us are too exhausted in life, not because we're doing too much, but because we're measuring our progress and definition of success against someone else's metric. So until we take ownership of that ourselves, we will forever feel exhausted and tired because we can never keep up when it is somebody else that is defining where we should be in our life. The second part of the book, what I wanted to do, Michaela, is to then explore the mental side of energy. So I wanted to show people how they can rewire their energetic state through understanding the role of their belief system, their response to challenges, and also how they can make momentum an ally. The third part of the book is how readers can protect their personal energy. Because I think that once we have elevated our energy, one of the things that we fail to do is protect it in a meaningful way. Instead, we just tend to give it away to anything and everything. And so when we understand how to protect our energy in terms of being more mindful uh, about our environment, about how we manage our energy from day to day, and also in terms of our financial energy, because I think that one of the things we underestimate is how much of an energy drainer uh, not being on top of our finances can be. Uh, so these are the things I wanted to explore in the third part. And to end the book, the fourth part was how do we go about supercharging our impact? And simply put, I wanted to touch on the idea that our value as a human is determined by how much more we have given to the world than we have taken from it. And this ties in very closely to what I speak about when I, uh, when I touch on spiritual energy. It is doing something that not only is meaningful to you, but gives value to the world, that adds richness to your story when you have passed from this world. Mm. And we know that the research is on, on your side with that in terms of well-being. So when we think about eudaimonic well-being, the the well-being that comes from doing something purposeful and meaningful and, and often leaving an impact on others, um, which is very different to hedonistic well-being, which is just about fun and pleasure and joy. And we need the balance of, of both of these. So I love the fact that you talk about impact because it links mm. very clearly to purpose uh, and leaving something behind can also propel us forward with a the momentum there, starting that journey of 365 steps, as you said. I wonder, there's a lot of things you talk about in the book that I just wanted to pick up on. And, and one way of protecting your energy is the, the not-to-do list that you, uh, you mentioned. Can you expand on the not-to-do list? Yeah, sure. So I think that when, I, when I've worked with the clients I have in my time as a, a, as a coach, what I've seen is that in many cases, progress is limited, not by the fact that we've got to add more to our life, but the fact that we are, we are continuing with behaviors, habits, and choices that are stopping us from making that progress. So in actual fact, the first place many of us must begin our journey on is by reflecting on, well, what are those behaviors, habits, and choices that I can stop doing now that will give me the space to focus on what I actually want to do, on the very things that will move me forward? And that's where the not-to-do list comes in. Because with a to-do list, very often, is it never gets finished because we always add more and more to that to-do list that we're forever chasing the bottom of that bullet point. Whereas when we put together not-to-do list, which is limited by 
a maximum of eight to 10 things, we give ourselves boundaries uh, on what we're going to say no to so we can give oxygen to that, which will actually help us move forward. And what you feed will grow in that sense. So if you are mm. very boundaried with yourself and others, that means that you can have that energy to put it in the places that really matter to you. Definitely. Well said, Michaela. So this is where I guess our, our work overlaps, though, although we have slightly different training, that, you know, the work around values that I do is very similar to that. And that's why I'm, I guess I feel very energized from your book, because it taps into choosing and designing a life that matters to you rather than mm. waking up one day with regret because you faffed about and, and spend your time on the to-do list that didn't really matter to you. So I guess that can help us step out of procrastination a bit when we are overwhelmed by all the things on the list instead of thinking, actually, what am I supposed to not do? And in the book, you talk about that, you noticing of a moment where you want to respond to a troll making a mean comment about you. And actually, that was one <laughs> of your not to-do lists. So let's not waste energy on that. I love that. Indeed. And I think it comes as part of the territory, Michaela, is that you know, the more we put ourselves out in the world, whether that's through social media or whether that's in, in, in public in terms of uh, speaking events, seminars, or uh, just in any opportunity we have, the more likely it is there are always going to be people that don't like what you do, that hate you for whatever reason, and you can never change them. And I think if we can find peace in that fact, then we can focus our energy on serving those that want to enjoy what we have to share with the world. Yeah, and absolutely. There's, there's the acceptance and making peace with that that is very hard to do when, when people are people pleasers or mm. they get caught up in comparisonitis and think, oh, well, I need to be able to be liked as much as others. And it's a natural human tendency. Um, you know, <laughs> our, our dopamine uh, gets you know massive hit every single time we get uh, that one of those likes on Facebook or Instagram. It just drives our brain crazy. So making peace with that and stepping out of it can be really helpful. And uh, I remember... Um, last year when my book came out, because uh, you were a first-time author sitting in, the, in that boat with me, mm. I remember thinking, what if nobody reads my book? Oh, no. <laughs> and what if somebody reads my book? Oh, no. And they were sort of, I couldn't decide which one was the worst, if someone would read it mm. and not like it, or if nobody would read it. So I think we are damned if we do, damned if we don't, in some ways, with the, with the mind that we have. And speaking of the mind, you know, you talk a lot about mindset in the, in the book. I wonder if there are any sort of mindset shifts we can make to step into more um, energy? Definitely. Well, I think one of the uh, mindset shifts that I share in the book uh, is the uh, role of our thoughts when it comes to shaping our reality. Because I think that one of the experiences that we tend to overlook and underestimate is the fact that we are living in the feeling of our thinking moment to moment to moment. And so in effect, what that means is that there is no one reality, there is only your customized reality. So when you are exposed to an event or experience, the way you interpret it may be different to the way I do, uh, different to the way your partner does, your colleague, your friend. But that also gives us a superpower. It means that at any moment we can choose a new thought to replace the one we currently have. And by doing so, we change the actions and the behavior that we take as a result. And I think knowing that is very powerful. It also tells us that we can choose new beliefs at any moment. It is entirely up to us. You know, when I reflected on the beliefs that have influenced my life, Michaela, what I've come to understand is that nearly every belief we hold has been made up by somebody else, whether 
it has been our parents, our school, uh, society, our, our friends, our colleagues. And so when we understand the source of many of these beliefs, we can choose new, more empowering ones. And one that I've given to the readers in the book to challenge them is to embrace the words uh, that I came across through my research called pronoia, which is the opposite of paranoia. Paranoia is this belief that the world is out to get you, that you aren't meant to succeed and that you are uh, a victim of the world. Whereas pronoia is a belief that the universe is conspiring in your favor, that life is working for you and not against you. And so a thought that I want to plant in the, in, in the listener's mind right now, Michaela, is imagine what life would feel like and look like to you from this day forth if you operated from the belief that life is always working for you. And it's something that I've embraced over the years because I think that when we operate from that belief that life is working for you, then every setback and challenge has you looking for the opportunity within them, has you looking for the lessons. And to see things from a positive lens rather than a negative one, and it's, it's that power of being able to act as if you are something other than that narrative and script tells you that you are. So you're acting as if you're not that shy, Chinese, hardworking guy who has to just be um, mm. meeting his parents' approval, but actually can figure out what success means to you. So you're kind of using that example of yourself in the book and on this sort of chat with me now to think about how do we step away from that narrative that we don't have to be defined by that old script. It is just one story and there's many stories that show up for us. And we all have that, you know, I often talk about the failure story that shows up for me mm. and I can't get rid of that, but I can relate to it differently. And then it holds less power over me. Definitely, definitely. I mean, stories and identity are powerful. And I think that at any moment we have the power to take back that pen so that we are in control of where our story leads and today is the best time for us to change it you know tomorrow is determined by the choices that we make today and if we start making better choices today which i think begins in our mind but also in terms of how we speak to ourselves then the destination we arrive at tomorrow will be significantly different mm. And that goes to show that when we start to shift our beliefs, we can also start to take different actions beginning before you're ready. And so your confidence grows. So it's that sense of courage over confidence. Um, I wonder if you can give some examples of, of how you protect your energy more concretely. Sure. So when it comes to protecting my energy, what I'm very mindful of is that unless we do so, we're going to be exhausted. And so what I do is that at least one week every quarter, although recently it's been one week a month, I seek to disconnect from work for the majority of that week. So at least three to four days of that week, I'm, I'm disconnected from work. Now, what that means is that I can spend time enjoying life, spending quality time with my family, um, and, and just give myself space to reset because I think we don't appreciate how important it is to have white, spray, white space in our diary. And actually, I've been doing more of that recently because once we understand what is coming up in our diary and the energy we are going to need for it, then we become more mindful as to how to manage our energy ahead of that event. So with my book launch coming up, Michaela, I know that I'm going to need a lot of energy when it comes to uh, events and, and PR activities related to that. So I've been taking a lot more time in the last month or two 
just to disconnect and spend time with my family, to be present with them, to be engaged with them, so that I have the energy reserves uh, to focus on what is going to be coming up in the lead up to my to my book launch. So there's a lot of wisdom there. It's actually knowing yourself there as well, knowing ahead of time that this is going to be a high energy uh, endeavor. And what do I do to protect my energy? It's almost like being less reactive and more proactive. Definitely. I think it's about living with more intention. Is that once we, and it goes back, I think, to what, what, I, what we touched on earlier, Michaela, about understanding ourselves is the beginning of true wisdom. Because in the process of me journaling, and I highly recommend the activity of journaling, what I started to understand is just how much energy I'm going to need. And if I'm going to need the energy, well, how am I going to make sure I have it uh, in, in the weeks leading up to that? And it's the same as an athlete. You know, when an athlete is training for a big event, they're not going to be physically pushing themselves right up until the main event. Otherwise, when they show up, they're going to be exhausted and tired. Instead, what they understand is the role of rest in, in the training regime so that they need to rest as much as they're exercising and training for the big event. So when they, when they step into that ring or into that arena, they're as prepared physically and mentally as possible. The role of rest is really important for our creativity and for our performance. And a client of mine who I taught how to doodle and you know, letting your mind wander and by being sort of creative, she once said, my creativity comes from a place of rest. And mm. you've highlighted that as well of how many important ideas and successes have come from that place of rest when we've been doing nothing at all in particular, um, mm. including sitting underneath a tree and getting an apple on, on your head. <laughs> um, so I love that storytelling of how when we allow ourselves space to sit, to be, actually we can, we can create, we can get energized. Definitely, because I think that when we begin to intentionally slow down, what we start to see is that silence is far from empty. It is full of answers. And it's why when I, I often speak to clients, I ask them, when was the last time you had your most creative ideas? And for, for many of them, it has come when they, were, when they were on holiday, when they were away from work and the country for a couple of weeks, and they were flush with ideas. They came back saying, oh, I should try this now. I would like to explore this. I want to experiment with that. And it just shows how creative we can be when we're not always sat in front of a screen on our desk, working all the hours in the day, but actually we give ourselves time and space to step back so we can come back rejuvenated, reset and ready uh, to explore that next step in a more creative way. And you show that in the book by, by kind of going through energy tracking and scheduling. So kind of have, having people understand that slowing down is a way to speed up. Can you talk a little bit about that sort of high, low energy periods and, and energy tracking? Yeah, sure. So in terms of the high, low energy periods, typically when we think about productivity, Michaela, is we default to time management. So we think, okay, I'm going to block out one hour to do this piece of work. I'm going to block out two hours to do that. But I think what we forget when we look at productivity just from a time management perspective is we forget that our energy isn't constant through the whole day. And so if we just manage our time in blocks, then we're not taking into consideration how our energy may be at that particular time. So if the average person was to say, okay, I'm going to go gym today, so I'm going to book that gym slot for 4 p.m., many people would actually 
cancel that class or simply not go because for many of us, the energy that we're operating at, at that level, at that time of the day, is not particularly high. And so the motivation falls off a cliff. Whereas if we start to schedule activities, projects, and tasks at the points in the day in which we're most energized, when we have high levels of energy, then we're more likely to follow through with them. And then we put those tasks which do not require as much energy for when we have less of it. So for example, social media or emails uh, or other administrative tasks that we can do when we have lower energy. And that's how we start to get more productive is when, for example, Michaela, we do the most important task first thing of the day when we are at our most energized rather than at the point in which we feel low on energy. That's how we start to move forward in ticking those things off that are most important to us. Instead, many of us, what we do first thing of the day is we go through our emails, we go through our social media, and we're exhausted before we've even started on on those tasks. Absolutely. And it's, I think it's a it's an analogy of swallowing your frog. Uh, mm. as sometimes used in productivity research that when you write down in your journal, for instance, a commitment of a task that you've been procrastinating and putting off, that you're going to do next day, then that is the frog sitting on your desk and you swallow that frog first. And that will give mm. you that momentum that you talked about as well, feeling you, you know, with energy because you've done something that you've been putting off and we all do it. We all put off uh, stuff. It's mm. human nature, unfortunately. But we can kind of use the wisdom of understanding when is your highest energy, when you're more likely to, to be able to do these tasks. So I love it that it, we can't just have our working day and working week look the same for everyone because we're mm. not the same individuals. And I think that's why it's also important to be kinder to ourselves. You, you know, I think that doing the best you can on a particular day will be very different if you are a parent to if you're a single parent to if you are older and, and, and have a disability to if you're younger and you're single. And so understanding our constraints and what we're working with helps us to understand how our best will look on any given day. And I think that if we do our best each day, and we can honestly say to ourselves, we've done our best given all that is going on, then I think that the rewards we seek will arrive eventually. Mm -hmm. And I think when you were speaking about the, the tracking of your energy and that, you know, it fluctuates across the day, it made me also think of, you know, sitting here being a woman, speaking to a man, that obviously my energy fluctuates across the month as well. Mm -hmm. So cycle tracking and understanding with wisdom how your period impacts on, um, on your energy is really important as well. Definitely, definitely. I mean, it's definitely something that I've uh, observed with my wife and, and her knowledge of that has helped her as well. Uh, you know, knowing that her energy will fluctuate at, at that sort of certain point each month will mean she won't schedule as much uh, around those moments uh, so that, you know, she, she can steer through those uh, periods in a better way. Mm. And that means that when we need more breaks, we take more breaks and we're actually more effective and uh, um, productive in those times rather than when we push against that and think that it shouldn't be the way. I, I should be as energetic today as I was yesterday, but you know, today you have a cold or yesterday you had a bad night's sleep. So it's, that's what wisdom involves, isn't it? Mm. It's actually knowing yourself inside out, knowing how the world works and then choosing wisely based on that wisdom. Definitely. And, and, you know, something for the listeners to keep in mind is that, you know, your body is always speaking to you. The question is whether you're listening to it. Yeah. 
And that's, I think that's a, that's a hard one when uh, people are stuck in the hustle culture and productivity, <laughs> isn't it? But, you know, I've got plenty of episodes around toxic productivity that people can tune into if you are someone who just does not listen to when your body says no. Mm. There's a lot of wisdom here. There's a lot of good thoughts. Um, and because I didn't sleep well last night, I'm, I'm having to refer to my notes a lot today. And that's okay because you just, again, knowing yourself and having that self-awareness is really important. I wonder, because I'm really fascinated by flow states. I think they're fascinating how they relate to play mm. and purpose. And when you're really engaged in something, you're really present and you enter that flow state. You talk about the energetic blocks that are sort of mental obstructions to being in flow. Can you talk a bit more about that? Yeah, sure. So when I think about energetic blocks, they tend to be the talk that we have uh, to ourselves. Uh, and also the barriers that we put in front of us uh, having the opportunity to experience flow. So, for example, uh, if you don't think highly of yourself, then, of course, when you have to present, when you have to sell, when you have to engage with other people, that energy is going to be felt by the audience or the person on the receiving end. And it's why the uh, statement I often share and, and I wrote in the book is that there are always two sales that happen. Uh, the first sale is selling yourself to others, and the second is selling you to you. And unless you can sell you to you well, the second will always remain the challenge. And so for me, selling you to you is all about managing those energetic blocks. Uh, the more you doubt yourself, uh, the more you don't believe you are able to do something, then the more blocks that you're creating uh, in front uh, of, of your ability to experience flow. Whereas the better you can speak to yourself, the more you understand how your thoughts create your reality, you become somebody who can take back in control that power of being a sculptor of your, of your path. And I think once you understand how these, uh, how these patterns work, then you are able to dismantle those blocks, if you will, uh, and enter greater periods of flow. And being an energetic flow is simply that experience of having something meaningful that you are working towards but at the same time being happy grateful and content in the now with that trust in the process and belief that what you want will be possible and i think when those things are blended together that's when people experience the, the, the greatest amounts of energy when you you come into their field if you will you feel it there's a magnetic charisma about him or her that draws you into their, in, in, into their field and wanting to be part of their energy. And, uh, and, and that distinguishes between an energizer and the drainer. You start to exhibit characteristics of, of an energizer. Mm. And that's, I guess that's linking back to the boundaries piece of how you relate to those who might show up in your life as a drain. Mm. Definitely. I mean, for me, when I look at my journey, Michaela, I think the environment and, and the role that's played has been so crucial. I often get asked, what is the fastest way to succeed in any area of my life uh, or, or career or business? And I say, design an environment around you that makes it impossible not to succeed. And for me, it's not just, it's not just the people we spend time with. Uh, that's, the, that's the obvious one. It, it's the people we spend the most time with. But it's also who we follow on social media, what we listen to, what we watch, the physical environment we're in, all of these things have a role to play in terms of how we see ourselves uh, and what we see as possible. You, you know, just as an example, I remember 
working with a client and I challenged them to change the environment that they were planning their weekend because before all they were doing was planning their weekend the, uh, on the table of the kitchen, in the living room, in their home. But then I, I challenged them to try new inspiring settings. And I remember this particular client started to plan his week in the lobbies of beautiful five-star hotels. And very quickly, he shared with me that he was so inspired with possibilities when planning in these environments that he, that he wanted to do this as part, of his, as part of his routine. And so it shows the power of simply changing up where we do things uh, and, the, and the role that can have on our subconscious thinking. I think that's very true because we, we all know that when we've been to a new setting, we've traveled on holiday, we've seen some new scenery, or even when you've stepped outside to go into your garden for a moment, mm. you feel refreshed. You've seen something else. And it's we see it as early as in babies. So if <laughs> I can see that in my children, whenever they've been a bit <laughs> whingy, um, you carry the baby into another room and they get more inspired. There's more stimulation. There's more to see. There's more impressions. And suddenly mm. the mind starts to work again. Definitely, definitely. I think that's often all we need sometimes. It's just a, uh, a change in energy, which can act as a catalyst for new perspectives, new ideas, uh, and new thinking. Mm, absolutely. And I think there's, I mean, there's so many things I want to pick out from your book, but you talk a lot about that or how to sort of the success is built up for many good choices over time, the kind of the consistent progress that you make on your path that is not this one thing mm. that will just explode everything for you. That is it's it's not what we're talking about, it's not sort of hard graft and hustle, but it's mm. about consistently choosing what matters to you time and time again. How has that shown up for your for you in your life in terms of purpose? It's it's been so important in terms of purpose because when I think about purpose. Uh, and it links a little bit back to what we were discussing earlier about beginning before we're ready. I, I had no idea, Michaela, what my, what my purpose was when I was thinking about life after banking and whether the businesses I got involved in would be what I would end up doing longer term. And so rather than focusing on the heaviness that can come with, well, what is my purpose? Because I don't think we wake up one morning and, and, and we know what it is. I just started following my my curiosities to start making better choices, as you as you said just now, and just start one thing at a time. So that very first choice I, I started making uh, good on was my health. I, I, I prioritized going to the gym more, prioritized getting more sleep, prioritized uh, making exercise part of my daily routine, and choosing better choices in this area started to unlock more better choices. Because once those opened up, well, I wanted to. Uh, do something more meaningful and I wanted to uh, learn more skills that I didn't have before. So better choices naturally lead to better outcomes, but then they lead to even better choices because then it opens up more opportunities you would not have been exposed to otherwise. And I think that one of the benefits from being consistent in making conscious choices that are positive uh, for your journey is that you start to expose yourself to more luck. And I think we don't give enough credit to uh, luck in the journey is that Luck is very important. You know, many of us have, uh, have experienced lucky breaks, but I think that lucky breaks come as a result of your good choices because the more good choices you make, uh, the more seeds you're able to plant in the world and you have no idea which one of those seeds ends up blossoming into an orchard. Mm -hmm. We talked about that beforehand as well, before we started recording of 
some of the lucky breaks you have as an author that is just coming from constantly pursuing opportunities, not knowing which ones will have an ROI for you or a return on mm. investment. And that's that's a difficult one that we don't have all the answers. We have to tolerate uncertainty. We have to accept that we can't control everything to be able to focus on the things that we can control and move forward with those. So I think that's been really helpful of understanding your purpose and that's shining through our entire conversation today. We've touched upon pause, but let's think about how that shows up for you. You know, how do you recharge personally? How do you sort of take a break from the achieving and the the working? Well, I think taking a break is is so important. And what I did uh, before I became a parent is is very different to what I now do as a parent. Because for me now, taking a break is just spending time with my with my daughter. And you know, even even just the two years uh, she's she's been with us, she has developed immensely. And just witnessing that growth, having the uh, privilege to see that growth with her every single day. Uh, for me, has been a beautiful gift and blessing. And so for me to recharge, it's now as a parent, spending time with my wife, spending time with my daughter, uh, having time on weekends to do activities with them, uh, to go on holiday and new environments and see her learning new skills. That for me is now a much bigger part of, of my recharging activity, as well as reading, as, as well as just being a tourist in my own city. Uh, you know, I I use some of that time in which I disconnect from work to explore the city I'm living in with my wife as if we're tourists. And for me, it feels like we're having a mini holiday. And I think those uh, activities bring not just greater meaning to the fact that we have to enjoy life, uh, but also to the fact that we we shouldn't just get caught up with the hustle. We shouldn't just be working nonstop, but we should actually stop to see that there is so much beauty around the world that we're living in. Mm. And there's that sense of curiosity and adventure and exploration that can come from also getting lost in the city that you think that you know, but London is, because you're in London, right? Yeah. Um, There's so vast spread that, you know, by the time you've seen everything in London, it's all changed again. So there's always something to us to discover and see. And I guess that might link with your uh, your sense of play as well. If you recharge a lot through being with your daughter, how do mm. you have play and fun and spontaneity in your life? I think for me, the uh, the play comes in the fact that I love to gamify challenges. Um, I, I love to sort of gamify the process of what I'm doing. So if, for example, uh, I, I come across somebody who I think would be great to connect with, then for me, the play is, well, why, not, why don't I drop them a voice note? Why don't I suggest catching up or connecting? Uh, I will look to sit at the front of, uh, of, of an event that I'm attending so I can have a chance to speak to the presenter or speak to the people on the front row. I'm always trying to make the process of what I do fun, whether it's with my family, whether it's personal challenges, whether it's professional challenges. And for me, it just makes it so much more exciting, Michaela. And I think it has also helped contribute to uh, what I've achieved today, uh, and the results I've got, it's just, well, how can I gamify this experience? And if there is anything negative, well, how can I gamify that? So, you know, I often say to people, well, you know, if you are, if you are looking to change your diet, why don't you procrastinate on the bad food? So next time you go to the supermarket, say when you see the, uh, the unhealthy microwave food or the, uh, the ice cream and, and the guilty pleasures, well, maybe, maybe I'll get that next week in next week's grocery shop. And the next week grocery shop comes, maybe I'll get that next week. 
and so you're procrastinating on the uh, on on that bad habit. Or if you are not particularly fond of rejection, how could you gamify that so so that it becomes achieving X number of rejections in 90 days? So that now it becomes a bit of a game. So you're not focused or dwelling on the last rejection, but you're focused on the next. How can I get the next rejection and next? And what you realize um, as as you play this game is that eventually you'll get that yes. Because the more you put yourself out there, the more wisdom and experience you get in that next proposal. Mm, and that brings us right back to what we talked about failure as well, that the, the, the master has learned to fail many times and the student is mm. avoiding the failures, so is not taking those opportunities. Uh, I think of a quote that I think Wayne Gretzky said, um, who's, for anyone who doesn't know ice hockey, is a, you know, a great ice hockey player. And he said, you always miss the shots you don't take. And I think that's very powerful. Though, of course, if you don't attempt to to shoot for goal, you're not going to score a goal. So <laughs> it's just—I mean—that's not rocket science. If you think of ice hockey, if you don't whack the puck with your hockey stick, you're not going to score a goal. So I think that's very telling that you used the example of Kobe Bryant and how many shots he missed. Uh, and we think of Kobe Bryant as such a successful basketball player, but yeah, he dared to take the shots and miss it. Um, so I think that's making that quite fun as well you know all the ways you think about your entrepreneurial kind of endeavors what strikes me is that you're not afraid to take the shot you're just going to go for it and if, it, if you miss it you miss it then there's another shot to take and that's very inspiring to listen to uh, for someone who's maybe a lot of listeners um, are sort of holding themselves back with self-doubt with imposter syndrome with you know negative self-belief there's a lot of stuff there so i hope that they they have been very inspired by hearing you talk today that it's not about having all the confidence and then taking action. It's actually about taking the action and then confidence will also follow. So I wonder if we can round things off with a final takeaway for the listeners, either a permission you want to give them or a pressure you want to take off them. Sure. Well, I think a great way to end, Michaela, is sharing a story that I, that, that I wrote in the second chapter of my book, which was about the experience I had when I was just 17 years old. And, uh, and losing my mom to a to a personal tragedy. Uh, I remember I was at school and I was in a physics class when the uh, teacher came up to me and told me that the headmaster wanted to see me. And as I went there, he told me to take the rest of the week off school because my mom had slipped into a coma and my brother and my dad were waiting outside in the car, ready to go to the hospital. A few days later, we uh, we unfortunately lost her and just shortly after celebrating her 49th birthday, we were now planning her funeral. And there were, as you can imagine, there were many life lessons that came from that experience of, uh, of losing someone so close to you. But I think the one that has stood out most to me and continues to drive me to this day, Michaela, are two words, which is don't wait. Don't wait. Because when you embrace those two words, it will not only become your antidote to regret, but it will act as the catalyst for your path towards fulfillment. Hmm. So that's a very important message that don't wait because we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what's going to happen. I'm really sorry to hear that that tragedy um, hit your life and I'm sure that has shaped your life path in many ways. So thank you so much for all your wisdom today, Simon. It's been a great joy to talk to you and I will speak a bit more in the outro about your fantastic book, Energize, which is on, it's out on the 21st of April. Correct. 21st of April. Yes. Fantastic. So thank you so much. I feel energized already. Thank you again. <laughs>
Michaela, thank you so much again for having me. That was a lovely episode, and I hope you listened to the end to hear all the wisdom and insights from Simon. And I am very glad to now be in his world. So I hope that you get this book when it comes out and get some ideas on how you can monitor the drains and the energizers in your life to make some simple, simple changes for more energy. And as always, I love it when my listeners get in touch with me, talking to me about what's going on in their lives. I am building a group coaching program for high-striving, perfectionistic, ambitious women who probably are quite low on energy because you're so likely to overwork and burn out or procrastinate and not get started. So if you want to speak to me about this program that I'm building, please get in touch on info at thethomasconnection.co.uk and I would love to chat to you about how I can best be of service. And until I speak to you next time, do take care of yourselves. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this episode. I know it's not easy when you feel busy and overwhelmed to find time for another thing to do. If this is you, if you feel overwhelmed or that you are close to your breaking point, then I've got a downloadable checklist for you that's going to help. This checklist is called Calm the Overwhelm. The first section has signs and symptoms of you being overwhelmed mentally or physically showing you that you might be close to breaking point or burning out. The second part is actionable, easy things you can do to try to slow down and give yourself a break. And the third part is a checklist of all the things that might show up when you're asking yourself to take a break. Perhaps your inner critical voice will have an opinion about why you're not allowed to give yourself the permission to pause. To download this free resource, go to www thethomasconnection.co.uk forward slash calm so that's thethomasconnection.co.uk forward slash calm this episode of the pause purpose play podcast was presented by me michaela thomas and you can find me on thethomasconnection.co.uk and because great work rests on having a great team This episode was kindly edited by Emily Crosby Media.